welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, adventurers, welcome to a special side quest episode. Today we're talking magical friends and how to summon them. This is Patrick. King Scott here. And definitely the king. I saw you at the Renaissance Festival this past weekend. I suppose we'll save that banter for next uh, regular episode. But man, I wait a minute. This is going to come out after the next regular episode, I think. Oh, I'm all screwed up I on my timeline. I know, I know. Little look behind the curtain here. It gets kind of crazy here in the Level Up Game Studios. <laughs> well, one of the cool things about knowing the king at the Renaissance Festival is you get all the all the inside information. So you'd recommended cannonball seasoning from that royal tea booth. And oh, yes, I put that on yes. burgers yesterday for Labor Day. And oh, absolutely amazing. Good recommendation on that one, sir. I'm glad to hear it. That's one of my absolute favorites. We went over to the games booth where you can like throw axes or shoot a bow and arrow and whatnot. So they had darts. Mm -hmm. They had a little thing of darts and you just try and hit the the dragon, hit the targets. And my daughter's like, I really want to do this. Now, Sarah has the hand-eye coordination and dexterity of a donkey, which I'm assuming donkeys (laughs) don't have much. And she's your average six-year-old. So it took her a few tries, but I'm glad to say she got the dart to stick on the board. She didn't hit the, the little star, but yeah, she, man, she had a blast, Scott. That, uh, you got to get a real kick out of doing that for a couple months every year. I truly am blessed to be able to do that. And whenever we see kids laughing and having a good time, uh, the number of times that I just spend my day with kids and talking to them and joking with them, it truly is a, a gift that I'm given that I can do that kind of stuff. It brightens your soul and just makes everything good in the world there for a little while. Well, I got a picture of Sarah with you. I sent you that. But what I didn't show you is Sarah got to meet Sir Braun. And Sir Braun is mm. huge. <laughs> I didn't realize it until like, <laughs> you would think like, oh, he's got all this armor on. Of course he looks huge. No, that dude's got to be like six foot five or seven foot tall. And he's got on like bone armor and stuff. And we go over there and he's, he's super nice. He's like, Oh, hello there. <laughs> Wait a minute. I expected I know, you. <laughs> he is, yes, he is one of the quietest people I've ever met and one of the most genuinely nice people ever in the world. I know I'm ruining everything for people to come to see Sir Brom do horrible things on the joust field, but seriously, he is a tremendous person. So we've had a busy weekend, but last week we had the opportunity to meet up with Clemens Luger, the designer of upcoming Kickstarter game Magical Friends and How to Summon Them, and that's what we're here for today. Shall we get on with the walkthrough? Hey, I think that sounds like a pretty gosh darn good idea. Designed by Clemens Luger and coming to Kickstarter on October 5th, Magical Friends and How to Summon Them is a game for two to four players that plays in about an hour to an hour and a half. In this game, players take on the role of wizards who are on their way to the tavern. Now, no self-respecting Gandalf type would show up all alone. No, you need friends. But how to go about getting them? Well, you summon them, of course. 
Your opponents, however, are scheming the same thing, so the countryside is filled with mystical fantasy creatures all on their way to the tavern, and things get a little rowdy. After eight rounds of play, though, whichever wizard has the most friends at the tavern wins the game. To begin, each player receives a player board and 11 artifacts, numbered 1 through 11. These are basically used to determine the player order each round. Then you set up the game board, which contains four pathways leading from the player's houses, all in the bottom right, to the tavern in the top left. Now the goal here is to march your minions, or, uh, friends, along these pathways to the tavern. So where do these minions come from? Well, these creatures come from a deck of 40 unique cards, shuffled up and placed on the summoning board at the start of play. The board has four face-up spaces, which represent the friends that are available for players each round, as well as a fifth on-deck space, so you can see what the next card to be added to the row is going to be. And finally, there's a space for the remainder of the deck, face down, to be drawn from as play progresses. The game is played over eight rounds, so let's talk about what happens in a round of play. The starting player for the round will select an artifact card. You know, those initiative cards, numbered 1 through 11, and they're going to reveal it face up. Then going around the table, one at a time, everyone else will do so, not picking a number that's already been chosen. The player who has the highest numbered artifact will go first for the round, and in descending order from there. So what are they actually doing? Easy, really. Select one of the four face-up friends from the summoning board. Then you take the one that's on deck, you slide all the cards down, and put the on-deck one in the newest position, and then you flip over the top card of the deck to create a new on-deck friend. Get it? Then you're going to get the matching standee for the card that you selected, and you're going to carry out the movement and potential actions granted by that friend. Typically, cards will allow you to move one friend many times, or many friends just a space or two each. Some of these friends are very powerful, but they don't move very fast, whereas others are kind of weak, but they might grant multiple standees movement when you select them. In player order, friends are selected, and the actions on their cards are carried out. And I don't want to sell this part short. Actions can include so many things, from destroying any other friend on a spot that you land on, like the giant can carry someone with them, the earth elemental can't be passed on any given path, while the quick-moving leprechaun counts as two friends if he reaches the tavern. The point is, these creatures that you're summoning will be interacting with each other all game long as they make their way to the tavern. After each player has taken a turn, the first player token passes, the round marker advances, and the next round begins. After eight rounds of play, whichever wizard has the most friends at the tavern wins the game. There are a few additional variables in Magical Friends that I wanted to point out. First of all, and perhaps most importantly, there are several overlays that players may decide to use at the start of the game. See, there are four paths that your friends are going to be traversing, but these overlays offer different variations for each path. The second path, for example, might be generic, or perhaps you put the cave overlay on it. Or maybe you go with the volcano, each with their own simple rules and different spaces to spice up the game. And each of the four pathways can be modified in similar fashion. Secondly, players will have tons of opportunity to slay each other's friends, keeping a standee as a trophy. And this is important for three reasons. One, at the end of the game, whoever has the most trophies gets a bonus point. Two, if there's a tie for the win... Most trophies is the tiebreaker. And three, when one of your friends is slain, you get a pity power. This is simply a plus two movement card that you can use on any one of your turns going forward. Now, as with any walkthrough, there's more to Magical Friends than I just went over. That said, I hope you have a basic understanding of what the game challenges players to do. Now that you know how to play, is the game good? 
Well, there's only one way to find out on Level Up, and that's to give it the most coveted treatment any game can ask for. Let's give the Level Up 8-Bit Breakdown to Magical Friends and How to Summon Them. All right, hey, thanks, Patrick. Let's break it down. Absolutely. Let's start on art and components, bit number one. What'd you think? They're fun. That is one of my biggest things I had to say about it, the fun. So many times there are worlds that games are built up into where it's dark and gloomy and you're fighting back the evil. This one here, it just is fun. I love the unicorn laying in the field, like scratching its back, laying on the ground. The Cyclops, which, yeah, or the giant, shouldn't be a happy-looking thing, but the whole thing with you must be this tall or shorter than this to be able to be thrown. So many fun little things about this that just make this a happy game, even though, yes, you could be killing things, but you're still happy about doing it. It's playful in its murder. <laughs> yes. It, it, yeah, yeah. And the components being able to put different tiles down to change the paths you're going to be taking. Just a great idea to add variability into it without having to have like all these tiles you have to lay everywhere. It's like lay a tile here, lay a tile here, boom, done. We have a whole new gaming experience. So really top-notch stuff. What did you think of standees over minis? I personally... I think there's a great feeling playing with standees. Yeah, sure, they're just flat cardboard pieces, but there's a lot of color to it, a lot of artwork. Whereas if you get miniatures, 90% of the time, they're going to be gorgeous miniatures, but they're going to remain gray. They're going to be gray, yep. Yes. It doesn't really immerse you into the game that much. And with the standees, his idea of how to sort them out and pick the standees you have, it's a brilliant idea. It is so easy. Yeah, you I told me you were looking at the box and he's got the insert in the box designed so that you can pop them in, pop them out and find them really easy. Almost like whenever you need a pack of cards in Dominion. Oh, we need the, the yes. Baron. So you just, it's in EBC order. There's the Baron. Whoop, got the whole stack. So very, very easy, but yet so brilliant. Yeah, this, this is a colorful board. It's very vibrant. The art has a playfulness to it, and this game benefits from it. I, I think it almost reminds me of that overworld in Legend of Zelda. You know, the, mm. the, this is... You're playing with these fantastical uh, fantasy creatures. You know, those are the friends that you're summoning. And they're not all wild like the dragon and, and Cthulhu. There's uh, the leprechaun is in there. They're, they're all just, there's leprechauns, mermaids, etc. If you can think of it, it's probably in there. And you know what? I think that probably has something to do with the standees over minis. I know I'm, I'm a mini guy. I would prefer minis when available. But I think because there's a whole bunch of different cards, it probably has something to do with... If I buy Zombicide, there's, what, four different zombies? And yeah, there's 100 miniatures in the box, but really, there's only four different sculpts that you have to put together. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I would guess that when we talk with Clemens, he's probably going to cite that is, is the reason. It's probably cost prohibitive to make all of these minis. You mentioned theme and immersion, getting immersed into the game because of miniatures. So let's segue it to bit number two, theme 
and immersion. Here we're playing as wizards. In this game, you're wizards, you're going to a tavern, and you want to have a ton of your friends there, like you're the most popular, right? So how do we go about that? By summoning the friends and sending them. So they're not actually our friends. We got to summon them and, and magically get them there to pretend like they are. This is one of a smaller percentage of games that the theme would be hard to just replace and still come away with the same game in the same world, don't you think? Oh, very much so. It's playful, but you still have a lot of strategy with this. So you very much do get into this. You're trying to get from point A to point B the best way possible while getting your guys there while you keep everyone else away. Mm -hmm. So you just really do get immersed into, do I want to go through heaven or do I want to go through hell? You really fall into this game and the world that they have there. It's hard to put my finger on exactly why I like it, but I just do. You know what I think gets immersive is that the board has spots that you can interact with. So uh, the first time that we played, there was a cave. One of the paths had a cave. And you do your calculations like, okay, if I go this way, how far can I make it? If I go up this ferry corner and I go through that, what spot am I going to land on? What's that going to do for me? Or if I go down the the third path, maybe I hit the switch and I can change from heaven to hell, like that you're actually calculating and there's something different happening per path. It kind of puts your feet on that path, walking along with the characters. You know, I didn't feel like I'm a wizard summoning things, much like in Magic the Gathering. I don't feel like I'm a planeswalker dueling against another planeswalker, but I still get immersed in that game. This, this did the same thing. It had that that sort of mechanical immersion for me while not being an overly complex game. Well, now that you brought up that, let's go to our bit number three, complexity. What did you think on that? Rules light, strategy heavy, or perhaps I should say tactically heavy. Wouldn't you say that this is more tactical? Tactical being like short-term planning, strategy being long-term planning. You can't enter this game with a long-term plan. You need to sort of react to what's available now and, and play in the moment. I think that's a great way of putting it. It's a great reactionary type of game. You can have a plan. You can have your strategy set up. That's always good there to say, I'm going to go this way. But you need to think of alternatives if something happens. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very important to be able to be very mobile with your ideas and able to change your mind as to what you're going to do. You want to get from point A to point C, but there might be four different point Bs in between. There. Yes. So yes. you need to be able to take control and figure out which one of point B is going to be the best one for you to follow. And I would guess that a lot of the complexity comes comes from each individual card. Like learning the rules of the game, it's not hard. Now, it's always easier whenever you're learning from a designer. Let's get that out of the way. When mm -hmm. We played this with Clemens oh, yes. on TTS, so it's always easier. Their enthusiasm pours through the screen and you soak in information that much better. They're always... They're, they're always the, the number one champion of their own game. So they know how to teach. They know every nuanced rule. They never have to reference a rule book. So that does make it easy. Right. But nothing in this game is difficult to grasp. There aren't a whole lot of if A, then B. If B, then C. You don't have these, uh, we'll call them cascading rules that segue into each other. No, it, it's very straightforward. But it doesn't cheat you on strategy. Tactics. <laughs> There's so much between the the bidding each round, the the different power levels of, of the creatures. Typically, if one of the friends that you can summon is really really powerful, it's going to be slow. But if it's really weak, 
it might move really fast or give you bonus movement or come in multiples like those skeletons. Uh, we played that game and I had the skeletons and the zombies. So the skeletons, you get three of them. The zombies, you have three of them. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try and spam the board with my dudes and rush them up there. And no part of that was complex to come up with or to execute. It's just a different way to play. You know, let's bring it full circle. I said the complexity might come up with the cards that are available if you're playing tactically and you're making your decisions based on what's available to you, the complexity is right in front of you. I got this card and that card. I can move this much. And now I got to figure that out. Uh, that's it. Well, this kind of goes into our next bit with the rule book. Mm-hmm. Whenever you play with the designer. Yeah. You can play this and this is something, well, it's kind of going between complexity and the rule book. Where you have the rule book, you're looking at it and they will give you examples as to how things will, will go out. If you're doing this, you can do this or you can do this. Well, while we were playing with Clemens, we're playing the game and I'm like, oh, well, I can do this or this. So I'm going to go there. And the number of times that he would say, well, did you think about going here or possibly here and here? It's one of those things where the rule book can only do so much. Playing with the designer, you get a feeling as to what they put into this game. Yes. And feeling all the different uh, nuances that are in there that you can do so much. This is a sandbox game to a point where you have a lot of options to play, but it's a small sandbox. You know what? I hadn't thought of that, but I I think you're right. You do have options every turn and and different paths, literally paths that you can yes. go down. Uh, what Scott, the stroke of brilliance! You got to go to this Ooh. Renaissance festival more often. <laughs> hey, we started to touch on the rule book, and this this is the one time I think that we need to make a little exception here. It is still being edited. I've seen it online, but I'm not going to dive into it because I'm sure it's going to come up with with several changes throughout the campaign and perhaps after. So I don't want to give any wrong impressions on rule book. However, you right. and I can both speak to the learning curve. Bit number five. Playing with Clemens, you get the idea of how to play. I'm still. I should hope a, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a definite noob at this. I mean, there's no question about this. Whenever we got to the end of the game, there were a lot of things that I was unsure of. But whenever you look at it and go through the game and play it, it's going to unveil itself a little bit more after each play. So you're getting it, that's natural with any game that you're going to play. You're going to get better and better and better. But it's one of those ones where things are placed on the board that help you along. So you don't have to really go back to the rule book that much. Mm-hmm. So everything you're going to be learning, you're going to be learning from the board. So that makes it that much easier for you to get the enjoyment out of the game as well as learning more about the game. To contrast that, I don't think that I had any leftover questions. At the end of our game, it took me one game to understand, and I'm confident, well, I was confident after the first play that I could teach it. (laughs) Having played it a couple times now, I'm very confident that I could teach most anything. I will say there's a couple minor rules that can be easy to forget. Um, If you'll remember, uh, you spawn one space further along the track rather than back at your little hut. You get to spawn Mm -hmm. one space further on the second to last turn, and all movement on the final turn is plus one. And I didn't remember, whenever we played again, I was like, oh, yeah. But other than that, I, I felt like, you know, as long as you can understand each card, which they're not difficult, you can understand this game. Yes, yes. So I do want to play it again, maybe even teach it. 
let's dive into, let's dive in. We're not going to dive into. <laughs> let's move it along to replayability and variability. Magical Friends is quite varied and in a way that changes the complexion of your game. You got a static map. You got those various overlays that you get to set on top of the paths in order to change the game as you wish. And you combine that with the fact that all of the friends are unique, and they'll be better or worse depending on when they're available, what the current board state is. I think this game is going to channel a game like Terraforming Mars. Not that it's similar at all, but that you'll be finding new combos on your 50th playthrough that you hadn't seen or considered before. What do you think? Definitely. With the number of creatures that you have, with the different paths you can put down on the board, with the different players that you're going to be playing with, I cannot see possibly how any two games will be alike. It's always going to be different every time you do it. Even with putting the different things on the board, you have, like you had mentioned that one time uh, on when you had to do your playthrough, you have the switch between heaven and hell. Yeah, Two different types of things there. You may have the same exact setup as a game before, but just that one little thing is going to add a huge variable into the game that's going to make it completely different. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at how many different creatures you can, or I'm sorry, magical friends you can summon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's amazing what you can do with this and what he put into this game. It's such a great makeup of this game. I'm, I'm anxious to get it and be able to go into it a little bit more as as time goes on well in our playthrough you had that you had the giant was it the giant or the mm -hmm. cyclops that's able one, uh, cyclops, one carries cyclops. things the other one throws so you had the cyclops that could throw things yes. and i made uh, i made gnomes or i made something little because they came in multiples and we were getting close enough to the end of the game that i was like mm. so it was like turn five we're in the second half of the game i make these guys and i, I rush them forward then you follow with the cyclops and on turn six we didn't have the cave. We had the lava on that path, and that's the path that I went towards. So on turn six, you sharked the turn order. You went before me, marched your cyclops up to my poor little gnome. He's minding <laughs> his own business, standing outside of the lava, picked him up and chucked him in. Now, we couldn't have done that if the lava was not on the board, if we removed that overlay and we were instead playing with the cave. Because mm -hmm. it's a different rule set. So to your point, very replayable based on what's available what board overlays you're playing with, uh, well, quite varied, but I think that makes it replayable. Maybe the best measurement of replayability. Scott, do you want to play this again? Oh, there's absolutely no question about that. You want to play it right um, now? Hey, I want to play it right now. It's fresh in my <laughs> Me mind. Me too. I want to see what the other magical friends do. I want to see all the different powers, how everything yes. works together. I truly had a joyful experience. You catch yourself smiling while you're playing this game. Well, let's talk about the times that we don't catch ourselves smiling. Bit number seven is where we look at any downsides or what might be perceived as one. Did you have any, Scott? Just trying to learn it through the first time. And that's going to be pretty much a Wait, downside. Literally every game has. That doesn't count. I know. I, I was just going to say that. If you want to look at a downside, and it's somewhat of an upside as well, is the number of choices that you have. That could really lead some people down the path of analysis paralysis, mm. where they sit there and, what do I want to take? Do I want to take this? Do I want to take this? It all depends on the people you're playing with. Yeah. I would say that is a little bit of a downside. Even still, that's still an upside. 
Yeah, with the decision of having four different magical friends available, plus you have your bidding cards in your hand, and some of them give you extra movement or a magic point so that you might be able to use one of your magical friends' abilities, right? (laughs) So you have to factor that in. Each friend has a different number of footprints at the top that shows how many characters on the board you can move for how many spaces. That's another factor. So, okay, I'll I'll take this this character, and I put him on my hut, and I'm going to start marching him towards the tavern. Well, I also have other pieces on the board, potentially, and I have to pick what paths I'm going down there for a very simple game. There are a lot of options from turn to turn. And suppose that I map it all out in my head and I put down my bidding card. I put down a five. Darn it. I don't get to go first. And somebody just mm-hmm. took the card that I – now I got to kind of on the fly like, okay, what am I going to – so yes, potential for AP. You know what else? I think it's it's going to be possible to find a really, really good combo early in the game that puts someone really far ahead. So if you're playing a three-player yes. game and someone jumps out to a, a three-to-one-to-zero to zero lead, it's kind of incumbent on the players then. The, the guy with zero points, the guy with one delay. Okay, Scott jumped out to an early lead. If I'm going to march my Cyclops to go throw a creature into the lava, it probably should be against Scott, not the guy with one point or zero points. There's, I could see where that can come up. And you know what else? This really, really bothered me about the game. Huge downside. Clemens didn't let us win. I know. I know. That, Unbelievable. That's poor gamesmanship. <laughs> <laughs> Was it fun and who's it for? Let's bring it on home with bit number eight. Well, I think you can tell by the way we're talking about it. We did have a good time playing this game. There's a lot of variability with this, a lot of fun with this game, uh, a lot of strategy and tactics with the game. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of those things in this game. I think that the recipe he put into this and the way that all those things work together make it a very enjoyable game to play. It reminds you of other games that you may have played in the past, but still holds its own identity as something completely different, which I think is great. This is a game you can bring out with your gamer friends anytime, have them play it, and everyone's going to have a great time. So that's a definite plus there. So that definitely had a great time. And you, Patrick, what do you think? Oh, it's an instant back for me. No question. Never mind that it's on Kickstarter and it doesn't cost $150. I just love this game. I can break this out with any one of my gaming groups, and I know, I know it's going to be a winner. This is for folks that like seeing real variability. Uh, It's approachable. It's a medium light rule set. Make no mistake, the name Magical Friends could lead you to believe that this is a game for a younger crowd or something that sets aside quality in the game to be cutesy instead. And that is not the case. It does have a playful atmosphere, but this is a tactical, meaty game. I had a hard time. I, I'm trying to make it an issue, Scott, to say, if you like X game and Y game, you know, what can I relate this to? Because you remember I said, you know what, you're going to think that this is a racing game because you're going to, you got to get from point mm-hmm. A to point B. It's not that. It's not a racing game at all. It's like a, a, it's a tactical spatial relations game with all kinds of variables based on the cards and the standees on the board. So I had a really hard time. I, I don't have a game that I could say, oh, if you like X, you'll like uh, Magical Friends and how to summon them. If you enjoy asymmetric tactical games with an Ameritrash theme and yet requires a lot of brain power, you are (laughs) no doubt, we've never done this, I guarantee you're going to love 
Magical Friends. I would go so far to say of the games that we've previewed, which in our young run, there's there's probably been eight or ten now. This is my mm-hmm. favorite. This is far and away my favorite. And that's including some heavy, heavy hitters like uh, like Deliverance, like Iridia. Yes. This one, this one just, oh, everything that I want in a board game. Yeah, I think the combination of the bang for your buck and what you get in there, I think that the return on your investment on this is much higher than some others. Patrick, (laughs) I just looked out the uh, window here and I'm slightly embarrassed to say this, but it seems Clemens is here and I think he heard what we may have said about the, (laughs) yeah, what what we said about the game. I don't know if we're going to have anything to apologize for, but I'm sure that we'll get into it whenever we get a chance to talk with Clemens. So should we let him in? Let's do it. All right. Come on in, Clemens. All right, Scott, we're in studio now with Clemens Luger, designer of Magical Friends and How to Summon Them. Clemens, how are you today? Hello. I'm very well. I guess um, it's a little bit later here than at your place. Good morning well, to you. No, no. See, I'm surprised. I was, you know, I was about to say, I'm surprised you made the trip all the way to America for the <laughs> studio so that you could meet us and do this in person. And, and that ruins it. <laughs> <laughs> Clemens, we're going to give you some some basic questions. We want to learn more about the game, but we want to know a little bit more about the man behind the game. So we're going to start the same way that we always do with every designer. What's your favorite games? How'd you get into gaming? Tell us a little bit about Clemens Luger as a gamer. Okay. Yeah. Well, as a kid, I was playing a lot of video games because of, well, sickness. I wasn't able to, to do so much outside, but... With video games also came role-playing games and board games. And, well, playing is pretty much my my hobby that I do all the time. I do love the more complex games and the more strategic and the, the tougher what, games. But also, What's your favorite complex game? I would say Agricola is quite a complex game. Um, I love it, the game. And also games like Zolkin... Or I love Dominant Species. And that is a complex game. <laughs> there are a lot of great games. But I, I really just enjoy gaming. And I see how, how many games are great, even if it's not the re- right game for me. But there's like all those great games have some special people who, who like them. And there is always a reason for them. So I have a lot of games at home. And I'm pretty sure that for every play every guy or girl that even says they don't play board games i know a game they would enjoy that's the great thing about uh, board games you will always find the right game for somebody so clemens with a background in video games you got some favorite ones oh yeah there are always games that i love and reinstall after a long time like i i played heroes of might and magic for a long time and from time to time I reinstall it and notice it's not the same as before but I wanted <laughs> play to play catch up. again <laughs> yes or I also played the Final Fantasy games for a really long time I, I love the stories every game has a different world it's it's crazy and awesome did you get into this remake of Final Fantasy 7 
not yet. I didn't have time for that, but I really want to. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's my favorite. Like I'm, I'm in that camp of it's my favorite game of all time and I'm not alone there, but the, I got the remake on, we have a, we have a PlayStation four. I never used it, but I got final fantasy seven and I played it through. Now it's only like, apparently they're releasing it in four different discs or several different discs. So like for those of you that have played, it's just Midgar. It's just mm. the starting city and it's 60 hours worth of gameplay. And I didn't go and find all the materia and do all the secrets. I understand that the next disc, I'm, I'm not sure this, but I think it might only be coming out on PS five. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, could be, but well, I anyway, really like did enjoy those games too. So you've got this background with video games and board games to work with. At some point, you thought to yourself, I can do this. And you started to put together Magical Friends. I assume that there were some games that most directly influenced that. Is this is this one of many games, that, and it, this one just had the most legs, or was this the baby from the get-go and you've been refining it for years? Tell us a little bit about how your gaming background segued into the creation of Magical Friends. Well, I have a lot of ideas and also a lot of board game ideas. So maybe there is a lot to come. But for Magical Friends, it started more with the atmosphere. So it came from role-playing games where like, the bard is always the, the, the person that everybody loves and has a lot of, of people around them. I but hate bards. The wizards and the sorcerers, well, actually, they have always some some kind of... A, a background that's more like I'm the solo person and they get those summoned creatures and followers and, and stuff like this. And that's how I got the idea for Magical Friends. Working on the prototype, it worked out very quickly. And so I, I, I stuck to it and it's fun to play. And there are so many things that can happen in the game. Yes, <laughs> indeed. You have this idea to create the game. Can you give us an idea of the process of turning that idea into a physical board game? Well, in 2019, I started with the game. At first, I didn't put much time in it, but it still happened quite quickly, like three hours here, next week, another few hours. And the prototype worked out quite well. For Essen, for the, the Spiel 2019, I finally made a box with with all the inlays and all the all the tokens so like it all already looked like a game let's say like this but after that i really started working on the game so i spent lots of hours every week to to work on it so also the last 2 years i'm working full time on the game yeah the tts version i think i made it somewhere in the early 2020 to be able to to test the game even with the pandemic and everything. Mm -hmm. No, I assume that it's come a long ways. Even on TTS, we see some of the cards that we're playing with are still black and white. And then you're able to click on a couple and say, well, look at this one. This one has the color in it. This is the full version of it. I, I'm always curious. When somebody uploads a game into Tabletop Simulator, which presumably you did, do you have to literally scan and clip every piece of art and you know format everything into every single card? That's got to be a lengthy process. Um, yeah. You, you have That's all the all more the answer we get is... Uh, <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> well, you, you have a lot of components in Tabletop Simulator, and that's really great. 
mm-hmm. but you have to place all the the graphics on on each side of those things. So I do have the graphics, so I just need to upload them. It's a lengthy process at at the beginning, but it's all right. It takes a day or so. I <laughs> guess the nice thing yeah. is. Unlike board game arena or something where there are rules that are implemented into the game, tabletop simulator is kind of a, an open playground. So you don't have to code in what happens when. You just got to get the pieces uploaded. I think it's not so much different on board game arena or somewhere else. Uh, maybe, maybe on board game arena, but not on tabletopia. I think you're also on tabletopia. You just put the the graphics on the on the different components. But in Tabletop Simulator, you have the possibility to code things. And that makes a lot more easier. For example, uh, you can just have a button that does the, the setup or does something special that you can't really do on a digital level that you, you would normally do with a physical prototype. So, for example, I have a lot of standees. And there is a sorting inlay in my physical board game. And this helps a lot with picking out the, the correct standees. In Tabletop so Simulator... you through a little pile of them. It's like, oh, okay, this slot has the giant. Exactly. And in Tabletop Simulator, you can't have this inlay, but you can have buttons that give you exactly the thing you want. And that makes it easier to to implement on Tabletop Simulator than on uh, Tabletopia, for example. Mm. Um, that's why I also don't have it on Tabletopia. <laughs> so at the end of a round, whenever we're ready to set up for the next round, some of those those magical friends that become available for purchase, uh, that, that row shifts. The last card gets burned off. The card that's pending, we'll say on deck, uh, that's going to renew uh, as it goes into the purchasable row, the market, and then a new card slipped over. You have it all. Just click this button, end round, set up next, and, it's, and it all happens so you don't have to go fidgeting with this stuff. It did make it really, really easy to play the game via TTS and full disclosure and listeners Clemens found out firsthand Scott and I are not pros with tabletop simulator (laughs) I feel bad for any designer that has to show us their game because we're like okay how do I shuffle how do I draw a card (laughs) there's there's pieces everywhere you know what I have noticed there's a flip the table button and Every time I'm playing with a designer, it crosses my mind. I'm like, man, how how would this guy react if like mid him teaching and demoing us the game, if one of us just clicked the flip the table button, be like, there. You would be would probably need not be strong enough to flip the table in my game (laughs) because you always have to roll if you're strong enough for the table to flip it. And well, my table is really heavy. (laughs) You can come anchored to the floor. Clever. Now, having played the game on Tabletop Simulator, the artwork was fantastic, but sometimes it's tough to get a feel for the components. I think what stands out the most is that we have the standees in place of miniatures. Personally, I I like them in Magical Friends, and I saw a picture of the box inlay, and I love how the standees are organized. But in a day and age where big blockbuster Kickstarters are chock full of miniatures, Why'd you decide to go with standees? Well, it's not that I decided to have standees over miniatures. I decided that I want to want to have a lot of unique creatures. That's a big part of my game. I have 40 unique creatures, and I say there might be a few more with some stretch goals. 
so I have a lot of different creatures and they need standees because 40 unique creatures to design as miniatures is hell of expensive. Usually if you see a lot of, of miniatures in a game, it's like, okay, maybe 10 different uh, miniatures and then maybe some uh, replicas of it. So with 40 unique ones, you would have 40 unique models, you would have 40 unique molds, and you would have a lot of boxes extra. So this would cost really, really much. And as a single designer, this would not be possible. If I would be a bigger studio with with a lot of money or with some more games I have to back up, I'm a first-time creator here, then it might work. But it also, I think it wouldn't work so well with miniatures as it does with standees. My standees do give a lot of information with them. That's very important. Having those as miniatures, I think it would be quite hard to oversee the game board. To your point, and I can see this as we're playing, whenever I pick a standee, uh, let's say that I get the harpy, I'm playing red. I put a red standee underneath that harpy. And that's how you notate on the board that it's mine. Now, this can be done with miniatures with those little, uh, what are they, like a silicone ring that you put on the bottom of the miniature. Man, you would be spending all darn game popping these rings on and off of the little characters. It's a bit more practical in your game with with standees. And, And for that matter... I don't know that miniatures would get me any more immersed. You know, you have a very vibrant, colorful board. Mm -hmm. You have vibrant, colorful art. And yes, art is colorful. Imagine that somebody uses colors and I can use the word colorful. What I'm getting at with that is it looks almost like a fairy tale. It's got vibrant blues and crystal clear whites. And the the green is a nice, deep, rich emerald green. it looks playful in that regard. It's not a, it's not a dark world. It's not a washed out or faded, which is fine. But in your world, it is very colorful. I think to have a grayscale miniature walking on this super colorful board, it would not really hit home. You know, I, I like yes. it with the standees. I will say you had your opportunity there to say, well, I'm thinking about the earth and the, the microplastics that go into the atmosphere. And I was totally against that. And you didn't state it. So we know now that Clemens does not care about the earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I do care about the gamers, you know. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I know that a lot of people think standees are boring or that they are, well, the cardboard is getting damaged over by using them over and over, or, or that they are very uncomfortable to use. So that's why I have this inlay, uh, a sorting inlay, where you can really easily pick out the, the correct standee. And also the plastic holder that the standee needs to stand on the board once once you put them on the onto the cardboard, it will be staying there. Um, you will not need to take them off and on again. It will have a number on it, and this will be stuck with it. It will not hurt the cardboard anymore. More on the components. You have that wonderful board with various tracks players can send their friends on, as well as some other ways the game can be totally different with each play. Tell us a little bit about your decision on doing it that way. In my game, uh, there is not much luck involved. But at some point, uh, some randomness is important to to change up the game during game rounds. So for one 
all those creatures are getting shuffled and they will have a, a different setup of what creatures will, will, will join your game at any time. And the other thing is a flexible game board. For example, I have five paths now that are changeable, so flippable to the other side. So that lets me five times, well, at least 10. <laughs> Wait, five different tracks with two different variations per track. Uh, so it's two times two times two times two times two, right? Would give you the overall number. Yeah, and I don't think time. there's anyone that can 16. actually do that math. <laughs> so with with five different paths flippable to the other side, I think there are at least like 16 combinations that you can do. And with that, you will always have a different game whenever you play Magical Friends. What I love about the board is that not only do you have the overlays so that you don't have a static board, but you also played with that a little bit. I noticed on that track on the bottom left where you can send your characters, there's the switch. So in, in the game that Scott played with us, it was just, I think it was just hell. We just had hell there, but that hell overlay, you can flip it upside down and it's heaven. And that's going to affect the different magical friends that try and work their way up through it neat you can change it up uh, from game to game but in the game that we played just you and i clemens there was the switch on the bottom left path so if you landed on the switch you can change it from heaven to hell <laughs> and then the next turn somebody can change it from hell back to heaven again it's it's not luck it's not total randomness it's something that you can strategically take advantage of uh, this variable on one of the other tracks so man am i going to go down that track because then he can go there and switch it is my character good is my character evil that's going to make some me you know maybe i'll just go the middle path and go to the volcano or the game that you and i played it was uh, it was the cave right we had that cave where you, that that's one instance where there is some minimal randomness the path that you go through the cave it's dark you can't see so it is kind of random and it can be a very quick route if you can sneak right through it i, I love the fact that the board changes from game to game you have the, an excellent an excellent amount of variables that you can put into this playground once set the playground is static but it's different every single game. You also weren't kidding about variability based on when the cards come out. Uh, Clemens, I'm going to steal the floor from you, and, and I just got to tell Scott this. Scott, he and I played, and on the very first turn, he made his purchases. He's got a couple friends. Whenever you're doing one-on-one, -on -one, instead of everybody just buys, well, buys, everybody acquires one magical friend, it's take two, and then the other person gets to take two. So he took his two and we flipped cards up from the top. And speaking of variability based on when the creatures become available, I got the dragon and Cthulhu. I think he calls him the old friend Cthulhu on turn one and literally turn two. I was in a position where it's like, oh, wow, I could all I might even be able to end the game. That's Cthulhu's ability. If he reaches the end, the game ends right then and there. The only creature that will do that very unique. But man, he came up turn two and I was like, oh, I'm going to rush him to the end. Wait a minute. This is this is the playthrough. I'm supposed to learn how to play. So I'm going to hold off on rushing uh, the, the old friend to the end of the board. Boy, tons of fun. Exactly. There, there is not much randomness in it. And like in the in the two player game, you will see one card the other player does not see when you're a second in line. Well, that was a really really lucky coincidence. But in general, there is not much luck into the game. But there is still some kind of chaos. For example, a game that also inspired me a little bit into this direction is Small World. I don't know if you oh, have I love played Small it. Small World. Mm -hmm. uh, who it's, hasn't played Small World? <laughs> 
I want to have this atmosphere in the game, like where a lot is happening when it's not your turn. So you have a lot of tricks you can play around with. You can make tricky moves, do, do little combos, but figuring out what the tricky combos your opponents can do, it's, it's hell. You can't really do that. So <laughs> this might at some point feel a little bit random because the others have a lot of options, but it's your opponents that do the trick. You know, Clemens, I got to ask you, there was, did I see a robot at the top of the board? Uh, uh, next to there was the chili no. stand where you uh, what was it's i seeing it's not there? a robot it's a golem. what is that it's pretty much it's, the oh. same. <laughs> yes excuse no, it, it's an earth elemental there <laughs> what's he doing why why is oh. he up there well there's like easter eggs throughout your yes, artwork exactly you know a lot of the the flavor that comes with the, with the colors and the artworks it mainly comes from the illustrators. At some point, you see their style, and it's awesome and great, and you just follow up with the ideas to those illustrations. So, yeah, we will have a lot of, of, of little details and Easter eggs on the board. For example, like one of our illustrators, her nickname is Nessie. So there is a little dinosaur in the in the water, and it's Nessie with, a little, with, with some glasses because she has glasses the unicorn that stands somewhere in between a rainbow, it has like the purple boots of, of Hannah, the other illustrators. Aww. Or at the market square, there is a little Clements selling his board game inside of his board game. <laughs> so yeah, I noticed, we'll find I noticed in the artwork, everywhere. you didn't put a big line of people lined up to buy it. There's just one buyer there. You gotta, well, gotta give yourself some credit. <laughs> you got a winner on your hands. Well, you get trophies there, so you should visit there often <laughs> yes you know what you mentioned small world for the flavor of this game and that translates well for the art too similar color schemes in in, in the playful delivery to it so yeah like small world was quite an inspiration from the atmosphere and from the chaos and the colors and the way fantasy is illustrated in the game you know there are so many unique creatures and so many unique abilities it's hard to balance this, but in Magical Friends, you're able to determine who goes first and who goes second and so on. By bidding cards, bidding artifact cards, it's like the second important mechanic in the game, you are able to give those creatures your own value. The game board is different, the creatures are different, your combos are different, so every creature has a different value whenever you play the game. So... It's important to, to give them the value by, by placing artifact cards at the beginning. And there are a lot of ways to determine initiative in games. And I always loved El Grande. It is a very old game and a really, really great game. It's still awesome after that many years. I rarely see this mechanic of, of bidding for uh, having an open bid on the initiative and you will see it also in my game. That introduces a lot of skill in any game because you have to be able to assess the board state, assess what's available to you. In Magical Friends, for example, you have to see what's going on on the board. Where are you at? Where are all of your opponents at? What's available? What's going to become available? So you have all of these factors floating around and it's on you to determine 
what is an appropriate bid. But wait, once you decide that, you know what, I'm going to play my seven card because I think I want priority. You also have to factor in the other players. Does somebody else at the table see what I see and might be playing their eight card? So do I play my nine now so that I go ahead of them? Do I wait? Do I save my my nine card knowing that they might play their eight and I just play my two? There's so much game revolved around that one mechanic. In fact, a lot of the game in Magical Friends is in the player order. And there are a lot of games like that. I, I, I reference Brass all the time for a game that really makes some some meat, gives you a meal with the turn order. Uh, the amount of thinking you have to do and, and the amount of planning ahead you have to do in that determining turn order. And in Brass, it's done by how much money did you spend last turn. So you might have this big turn where you want to spend a whole bunch of money, but then it's like, well, wait, next turn, I need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. So maybe I don't do everything that I'd plan this turn. Now, that's a very different way of determining turn order, but the the fact remains that it's very important that there's a lot of game revolving around it. And Magical Friends captures that. Yeah, funny you say press because this is one of the few games that I also had time to play last year. <laughs> so yeah. we, we played a lot of press. A f- funny thing, we I guess probably a lot of people do some wrong rules playing brass and well we did so too at some point we we really started to feel confident that everything is correct and we love the game and then we found out wait we played something very wrong but we liked (laughs) it that way (laughs) i gotta know what did you get wrong um we do you remember yes for sure because i still think it's the the better version like this. All um, right, let's hear it. <laughs> when you connecting cities with railroads or with the ships, we always played it that you only get points for your own buildings and not for all the buildings we connect. So yeah, that was okay. It was hard. People didn't really like to place railroads for other players, so it made it a little bit slower. But in the second half of the game, we really had to calculate what we want to do. Do we want to buy a new building? Do we want to do some new railroads? Because when we played it correctly, we felt like, hell, I only want to build rails anymore. I just take a new low end and just build two of them. I don't really care about anything else anymore. I just want to build as many rails as possible. Well, there you have it. Brass Birmingham by Clemens Luger. Uh, all jokes aside we've got a kickstarter coming up on october 5th when i wake up and i get on kickstarter and i see magical friends what can i expect to see well i'm a first time creator so even if the game works well i will not be a stone maya at the moment or something like this you know that it will not be like, oh, all of a sudden I've got a million. So I cannot I, I cannot calculate with it. I need to calculate with lower numbers. So when you go on the Kickstarter, you will only have one version of the game. It will be uh, a German or an English version. You can you can choose whatever you want, but there will not be a special deluxe version of the game because I will produce only a small amount of games. And I want to get this amount as high as possible to be able to produce this as cheap as possible. Having two versions will just split up my production run and I can't afford it. So you will have a basic game and we will try to upgrade it with stretch goals as much as possible. 
There will be small add-ons that you can purchase. I think I showed you before, there will be a special set of creature cards, like the friends you can summon during the game. In the base game, there will be cards that have a design that is much about readability. So you can really see, uh, read the text from from the other side of the table. Mm-hmm. And it's just really important for games. <laughs> <laughs> but we will introduce an extra set of, of cards with some special graphic design, like full art. Maybe you know it from, from games like Magic, where you have like those special artwork cards, and they look beautiful. But, well, you can't read the text as well. But if you have both of them, it's all right. You can play with, with, with the cards you want more. But in the base game, it's important that they are readable. The other thing would be an art book, because, Ooh. well, we have two really great illustrators working on the game, and we want to showcase those art pieces. So for, for the Kickstarter, we want to upgrade the Kickstarter with stretch goals. Like the usual thing that you know, like upgrading maybe some paper things into cardboard or some thicker cardboard for some things. Mm -hmm. We do have some things like UV printing. You know this uh, mostly from boxes. And I think it would really fit for, for Magical Friends to have some aspects popping out with UV printing when it shimmers in the light. Um, That's when you have like some of some portions of the card have a matte finish and then other portions have like a glossy finish. It somehow right? looks like this. It also have a li- has a little bit structure on top. So you, you feel Ooh. it when you go on top of it. You see this sometimes with the boxes, but we would like to also add it to some other cards or uh, not, to, not with the cards, but with some cardboard. Maybe, for example... Well, you, you didn't see it in, in, in the tabletop simulator, but to show which standee belongs to which player, you will have like little gingerbread hearts. And on the gingerbread heart, you will have like, this is my princess, or this is my my dude, or this is my best friend, or stuff like this. You know, you will have those those cute little nicknames on them. And if you flip them, it will be like the puking dude because it's poisoned and stuff like this, like the poison symbols or something like this. You can also make those parts UV printing. So we can highlight some informations like on the standees. Oh, this creature can kill somebody. Oh, this creature is an, an evil one or a good one. So we want to highlight some information with UV printing maybe. So it's not only much more pretty, it's also useful. Yeah, it makes the important portions of that card or standee pop. The game is already quite finished at the moment. Only some artworks are missing and, well, some proofreading uh, with the rules and stuff like this. But that doesn't mean we're not testing a lot of things right now. Yeah, like I, I said before, once we reach some certain levels, we will have 10 extra friends joining the game. Instead of 40 unique creatures, you will have 50 unique creatures. So the replayability will increase a lot with it. We played with those creatures, and they're a lot of fun. Just nice. Just saying there will be a slime. At the beginning, it will be big. But if you kill it once, you will have two slimes. And if you kill it a middle, middle-sized middle slime, well, you will have two small ones. I love and it. And you can, you can do a lot of combos with it. And it 
Well, it might seem simple to just run in front of the tavern, kill it once, kill it twice, and bring them all in. It's not as as easy as you think it is. <laughs> that sounds like a creature that if you had that friend, get, well, to your point, get him in front of the tavern, and then, I mean, if I'm your opponent, I'm not going to touch it. I'm like, you know what? You just have that friend. You get that one, because I'm not going to risk giving you two or four. To your point, you could kill your own friend. Yes, to turn exactly. it into two and to turn <laughs> it into three. Yeah, there is a lot of abilities that in, in most situations you want to use them on, on your own friends or only on your opponent's friends. But there are some that you also might use in a different way. For example, the giant can carry other creatures with him. And usually you want to carry your own creatures. But at some point, it might be so delicious to just pick up a few of your opponent's friends and carry them into the lava and burn them right all into up. the lava. <laughs> <laughs> With 10 more friends, we also have the opportunity to might be able to bring a fifth player into the game. So oh. we also tested a little bit with the 50 creatures now and with five players, and it works quite well. It's a little bit more chaotic, and yeah, that works really well with 50 creatures. But it will be a latest stretch goal. Like all those, those upgrades, it also means more components and... Well, it would be great to have a bigger production run to to do those extra components. Now, how much are we talking about for the base game? Let's suppose that, you know, I'm getting on Kickstarter today and I want to pledge. Do you have a cost? Yes. I guess you want to have the dollar cost. <laughs> so it will be like $59. I don't even know what kind of currency you guys use over there. <laughs> I've always assumed that it was dollars, just a not as good dollar as what we use. Well... <laughs> you can use use our not as good dollars if you want and it's, it's even cheaper you only need to pay 49 euros for the game but 59 dollars for <laughs> for the base game see our, our dollars are so good you want more of them yes exactly <laughs> so we're looking so, at 59 now i know shipping's got to be hard to determine right now what yes. with containers being where they're at and quite frankly i'm sure that's going to change throughout the campaign and as the campaign ends and you move on to fulfillment i'm sure there's going to be a, a lot of changes we're not even going to get into shipping i'll spare you that that's great thank you for sparing me that bit <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking to back it definitely but I got to know if you have any idea of when I'm going to have Magical Friends show up at my door. We tested a lot with the game already. Like many, many artworks are finished. The, the designs are finished. Only some need more color in it. And for sure, the, the stretch goals that will be added, we need to do those at some point. But I think we will be able to finish those things till after Chinese New Year. We will work with Longpack Games. Longpack Games is a big company. You know it from, from games like Everdell. So you can expect good components from them. But well, there will be Chinese New Year and this will delay some things. But I think till then we are able to finish up the, the components for the production. So starting with March, I think we will be able to do the, the digital prototype, like digital printed prototype, so we can see all the colors and, and check if everything works out. At the moment, we are already working on a white sample, so we already know if all the components work without colors. After March, it seems like it takes another three months. Maybe let's add two weeks 
um, just to be sure. And mm-hmm. with shipping, I hope we will be able to to ship it in August or September. So okay, that's a pretty fair estimate. There are already some weeks in it that we take as an extra because there will be. It always will Things be. come up. Yes. But it's all also in my interest to finish it earlier. In the mid of uh, October this year, we will be at the Spiel in Essen. We are totally excited to have our booth there. Oh, I'd be jazzed up. And if this would be fun, I'm totally sure I want to be in Essen next year too. But it would be a lot greater if we already have games then. <laughs> right. So yeah, something it to, would be great to sell if, if we're able. Con. Yes, because there will be leftovers and they need to be sold. <laughs> All right, Clemens. Well, we're going to give you a chance to wrap things up and tell us where we might be able to find out more. We got our Kickstarter coming up, but with all designers that come on the show, we like to give you the chance to level up. What do you say, Scott? You ready? Oh, awesome. Clemens, eight questions. Just give us the first answer that comes to mind. Don't get too crazy in it. Scott, say when and we'll get rolling. All right. I'm all set. Got the timer ready. Ready, set, go. All right, Clemens, which magical friend is your favorite? I really love the mermaid. With a huge prize on the line, could you eat 25 hot dogs in one hour? No. If you got into a fight with King Scott, who would win? I guess he's on Renaissance Fairs. I have been too. Maybe he has some more fighting experience. I guess he would win. Not in games. True or false? Brownies should have nuts in them. Yes. It's true or false? (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Our podcast emblem features an 8-bit character who we call Wilford. What do we have to do to get Wilford as a promo card in Magical Friends? Help me to get, like, at least 3,000 people backing my game, and then we will find a way to get... Coffee or tea? Cacao. How do you say level up in German? Hochleveln. On a world map featuring only land and sea, would you be able to point to where Pittsburgh is? Never. All finished. Oh, good stuff, Clemens. <laughs> wow. That was impressive, Clemens. I think he just leveled up. You know what? He gave us a challenge. Get 3,000 people to back magical friends. You know, Clemens, we don't have 3,000 listeners. <laughs> well, he's like Wait, why did i devote all this time this morning to this <laughs> no it's uh that's awesome i don't agree with you on nuts and brownies scott do you like nuts and brownies i do well nevertheless i do agree that that is a level <laughs> up well done clemens now before we let you go we always give you the chance to let listeners know where they can find out more learn a little bit more the game is magical friends and how to summon them i know you have a bgg page live where else can we go if we want to find out more well it's probably best to go to www.magical-friends.com there you will be able to see a few pictures of the game you will have some idea of the artworks download the rules and most importantly you can subscribe to the newsletter this really helps us a lot with the kickstarter we really need to have all the people we can get in the first 72 hours of the kickstarter because those are the most important and if you subscribe to the newsletter and use the same email address as you will do on the Kickstarter and back the basic game during the first 48 hours, you will get this special exclusive graphic 
upgraded card deck. You get your level up promo card. Well, okay, okay, it's fixed. It will be a stretch goal with 3,000 backers. <laughs> Clemens, I'm looking forward to this. I, I think you have a winner. When we played our game, you gave me a demo on TTS. I said to Scott, dude, you have to play this game with me. We've Ooh. we've done a few previews for upcoming Kickstarters. A couple of them have gotten over a million dollars. Now, they might have been a more established company. That's not the point. The point is, this has been my favorite preview game. I'm not saying that because you're staring at me through my computer screen. This has been my favorite. It's tactical. The decisions are meaty. It's not overly complex. I can play this with a younger group. I can play this with my gamers. Honestly, there's so many games that I say, oh, you can play this with your family. You can play this with your family, but this isn't a family game. This is a meaty, meaty game with really rich decisions. I feel like if I win, I earned it. I'd also like to point out that you didn't let us win, and you're supposed to do that. (laughs) No. Oh, I never let. <laughs> <laughs> You've played the game 4,000 times. You didn't go easy on us at all. No, never. People should always feel accomplished when they win against me. You're proud of yourself, Clemens. <laughs> You're proud of yourself. You beat the noobs. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much, Thanks so much lot, for your Clemens. time today, for giving us the demos, the playthroughs. I'd say good luck, but I don't think you're going to need There's it. no doubt in my mind that it's going to fund. I think you've got a winner on your hands. The more people find out about this, the more folks watch your uh, your video on your Kickstarter page. I think you've got a ton of folks that are going to back this thing. Thanks a lot, Clemens. Thank you so much to be on your show. It was really nice playing with you and talking with you. Well, Scott, I'd say that's going to wrap up another side quest. So until next time, see you, Scott. See you later, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.